you know, you just never think things can get any better. <laughs> and then I'm up. <laughs> Colleen, you did a marvelous job. Wonderful. My soul in sad exile. Oh, uh, somebody left a purse on a golf cart. If you did, it's at the Connection Center. Don't worry about it. They've got all the money out. and Put your tithe in. <laughs> I'm sure whoever you were were fighting for your life to stay on the thing with the drivers we have. And you're just thankful to get in this place. But your purse is at the Connection Center, all right? Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Uh, the entire book of Joshua is dealing with living victoriously. And we remember, uh, just want to remind you again, I know I've done it many times, but remember that Canaan is not heaven. It's a victorious Christian living uh, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there are, and, and others have said, what do you mean? There are some applications about Canaan that can be applied to heaven. But I'm afraid if we apply uh, Canaan land to heaven, I believe we're going to forget that we serve a God of the now. And it's not just in heaven that we're looking forward to being with the Lord. Let me tell you, you can have peace and joy and happiness right now. You don't have to wait to the heaven. You can have it right now. Uh, the other thing we need to remember is there's no victory without a fight. There's no cross without a crown. No crown without a cross. I guess that's how that would go. There's no trophy without an opponent. And walking in victory requires faith. We all know that. But I want to just challenge you this morning to remind yourself that walking in victory requires fighting also. You say, well, I didn't think we were supposed to fight. Somebody told you wrong. If you don't know you're in a battle, you're going to lose. If you don't show up for the game, you're going to lose. If you don't know you're fighting the devil, you're going to lose. The adversary wishes to destroy and deceive you. And it seems like here in chapter 9, Joshua takes his focus off God. And momentarily, just momentarily, they forget that they have an adversary that's out to destroy them. And that leads to compromise. That leads to living too close to the world. That leads to making peace with the devil. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Joshua 9, verse 1. It came to pass when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills and the valleys and coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel all in one accord. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they worked willingly, they worked deceivingly, and they went and made as if they had been ambassadors, took old sacks upon their donkeys and wine bottles and old and rent and bound up, old shoes clouded upon their feet, old garments from them, and all the bread of their provision, was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp of, at Gilgal and said unto him uh, and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us, sign a treaty with us. 
And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Joshua said unto them, Who are you? And from whence did you come? And they said we, unto him, We from a very far country, thy servants, are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey. Go to meet them and say unto them, We're your servants, therefore now make you a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it's dry and it's moldy. These bottles of wine which were filled were new, and behold, there be rent, and these garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took up their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Now, I need to read that again. You, you didn't hear that. They took up their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Father, we ask you this morning how blessed we've already been. Would you just continue to let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts? I pray this morning, uh, Lord, to the north, the south, the east, and the west, that no uh, any enemy would step forward into this place. But would you guard this place, Lord? And would you let your Holy Spirit have freedom to do as he chooses this morning? There are people in this auditorium right now that, Lord, if they don't come to know you, they're going to spend eternity separated from you. May today be their day of salvation. There are others that need uh, just a, a recommitment in their lives. Others need a church home. Lord, uh, we're all a needy people in this place. So, Lord, do your work. We love you and praise you. And thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's just look at this here to see what's happening. Verses 1 through 14 deal with this. We'll deal with the whole chapter, but I didn't want to read all of it there. But this literally is an outline of how the devil gets us into a compromising place. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that we not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. We're, we're not idiots toward what the devil's going to do. We know most of the time what he's going to do, and we still fall for it. But he said we need to, to bring ourselves to the point to understand Satan runs the same plays over and over again. And you know why he runs the same plays over and over again? Because they work. Now, it, don't, it won't work for the Dallas Cowboys, but I'll tell you, it works for the devil. <laughs> they, they, they've conquered Jericho. They've conquered Ai. They've, they've gone the foothills up to the sea. And now they need to, to conquer some cities inland here. And the Hivites was one of those, and within them are the Gibeonites. The other folks have already decided, man, Israel's a real deal. We're going to all gather together, and we're going to try to come against them ourselves. But the Gibeonites said, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. So they come up with another plan. Now, what's happened here, the situation, is that they're focused on earlier blessings. Uh, God had already promised them success wherever they go. God had already said, you, you'll be able to be, every place your foot hits the ground, it's going to be yours. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses and, and, and Abraham and all that. It, it, listen, 
If the devil cannot conquer you with defeat, he'll mess you up with success. I've lived long enough to realize that sometimes, I'm not talking all the time, but sometimes the worst thing that can happen to a person or a family as far as his spiritual walk is concerned is to be successful. They begin to be successful and they take their eyes off the Lord. They begin to come like they did here, did not ask counsel of the Lord. Sometimes the worst thing to happen to a family is victory. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to a church is prosperity. We'll have a business meeting tonight, and I'll hear some of our people pray every once in a while, Lord, would you just send us a millionaire to pay off our debt? I think that'd probably be one of the worst things that could ever happen to Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Now, if you're here and you want to pay it off, I'll take that gamble. <laughs> Amen? But I'm just telling you, when we're successful, if we're not careful, that's when the devil will dupe us even worse than when we're not successful. Hmm. They were full of themselves. They thought they didn't need God anymore. You could almost call this AI number two. I mean, the same things happened to them before after they won the victory at Jericho. The success caused them to lower their guard. And then they were misled by external appearances. You know, these giving eyes didn't show up and tell the truth. Can you imagine people coming to you and not telling you the truth? I mean, the Hibites didn't come and say, look, uh, the Gibeonites didn't come and say, we're from the Hibites. We're right over a couple of hills from y'all here, less than 18 miles at the very most. And uh, we just want you to know that we're your sworn enemy. And uh, we're the ones that God said you better destroy. But if you don't destroy us, I just want you to know we're going to be a pain in your flesh from now on. They didn't come saying any of that. <laughs> they, they wanted to act like they were not in Canaan. I tell you what I think happened. I think uh, their king said, uh, you guys remember when we had that big church-wide garage sale? Remember all them clothes that didn't sell? Y'all go get them. Drag them out of them old black plastic bags and put them on. And let's all get us a pair of shoes that's got holes right up next to the big toe. And then, then we'll get those wine skins and don't bring those new ones. Get some old dry rotted ones that's been patched over and over again. And then get some old stale, dry, crusty, moldy bread. And we'll throw all of that in there together. And they come from a far country. And Joshua almost gets down to it, but he, he just doesn't have the discernment. They said, you see these shoes? They came right out of the box brand new before we left home, and we've worn holes in them trying to get to you. That's how far we've come. You see these clothes? They come from Dillard's. We took them right off the rack. And here, now, there's a war out right now because we've come from a far, far way. And they are misled by external appearances. We've come because we've heard about your great God. I hope by now most of y'all have realized that the devil doesn't wear a red suit and carry a pitchfork around. He may be looking like your in-laws. I don't know, but I'm just saying. He don't have a pitchfork and a red suit. He uses some flattering words here. They say, look, God is great. Your God is wonderful. Your God is powerful. We want to be one of you. 
Flattery is a chief tool of the devil. Now, I know it's going to get quiet here, but let me just give you a few examples. When that lady says at work, man, you're so big and you're so strong. And you can't even walk to the car and get your briefcase without getting winded. It's called flattery. And the devil will use flattery. I'm going to tell you something, honey. Your husband is a lucky man. If I had an employee like you, I want to tell you, you could come over here and work for me and we could make a lot of money. Things like, you're so beautiful, I can hardly take my eyes off of you. Why does Satan use flattery? Because it works. It works. Their flattery, though, is, is not in the outward appearances here. It's on the things of God. You ever heard a guy say, you're... You're such a man of God. Any woman would be happy to have you. The problem is a woman already has him. It's called his wife. Or maybe, <laughs> this is a good one. This is true. These are true. Some of you have been speaking this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Your children are so lucky to have a godly woman like you. Really? You're hitting on a woman and calling her godly at the same time? Come on, folks. That's the devil's tools. It's flattery. It's just completely blown up flattery, and every one of us like it. We all like to be patted on the back and say, boy, what a good job. What a good job. I even had one this week tell me, your sermons, man, they're great. I said, ma'am, I, uh, I really appreciate that. Usually folks don't say that to me. Usually when I meet someone out in town, they'll say, They'll say one of two things. They'll either say, that's that church that built that big church over that little church. That's number one. Or number two, they'll say, boy, y'all have a great music program. <laughs> so help me, that's what they say. You know? But I want to tell you something. I did a, vi a, a, a video a while ago of all my hope is in you. And I put it on Facebook. And when your friends down at the other churches find out what an idiot you've made of yourself this morning, clapping and shouting and praising the Lord, they're going to know we're crazy over here. <laughs> Doesn't hurt a thing. Then they were tricked by a fake witness, no discernment. They, 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 they got their shoes, their clothes. Their, their, uh, you say something's not quite right. You came from a far journey, and Joshua was saying, did you come from afar? Yes, we've worn out our shoes, we've worn out our clothes, and yet you, you still got some bread that you left the house with, and you've been on a far country? Now, I know I've been watching too many Columbo and Murder, She Wrote, but I want to tell you, my mind's just thinking, this is not right. This is not right. It's a lack of discernment. Now, listen to me, folks. I'm not talking about being judgmental. But I'm telling you, if you don't get before the Lord and in the Word of God and learn a little bit of Christian Holy Ghost-filled discernment, you're a sitting duck for the devil today. Vance Habner said, discernment is not deciding between what's right and what's wrong. That's what everybody says. Well, that's your discernment. Well, you don't need discernment for that. Read your Bible. 
You, you, people, when they do wrong, they know what's wrong. I mean, that little lady that got stopped by the highway patrol on Highway 84, and she was doing 84, she knew good and well that 84 wasn't the speed limit. It was the highway sign. She knew that. That police officer shined that light in the back seat, and there's two just ashen ladies just sitting there like statues. And he said, ladies, are y'all all right? She said, we just got off of 103. We'll be all right in a few minutes. You, you don't need discernment to, di to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. Vance Havner says you need discernment to distinguish between what's right and what's almost right. So I want to tell you, false witnesses, you see them on television, they're not going to show you the stuff that's wrong. They're going to show you the stuff that's almost right. And Christian discernment is distinguishing between what is not quite right. Some of you kids call that your parents' intuition or, or mama's intuition. Let me tell you what we parents do. I'll just fill the beans on you. If you tell us you're going a mile down the road to a friend's house, we done check the odometer. And when you come back and it's got 52 miles on the car, we know you didn't go down to your friend's house and came back. There's no intuition at all. We're smart like that. We know how to do that. Ah, anybody can see the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is telling what is right from what is almost right. Almost right. Boy, there's a lot of things in this world today that are almost right. Hmm. Joshua is walking by sight, and he's not walking by the Spirit. When the devil comes against us in a frontal attack, it's easy to know the devil's coming. We see him coming. It's a frontal attack. We know he's going to attack us. Boy, but when he comes dressed in some garb of a pitiful beggar or something, we better have a little Christian discernment. Not everybody out here on the highway waving, sailing their flags are really desperate. We've got to know, you know, daddies, when your daughter comes in with a foul-mouthed young man, just, I mean, dressed like I don't know what, looked like he got in a torch fight and couldn't get his lit, you, you know what you need to do. There's no doubt what you need to do. You know exactly what you need to do. Amen? But you let your daughter bring home a young man that's troubled and got a lot of problems and bad background, and he says, I'm trying to get my life back together. It's easy to be deceived. Now listen, don't, don't leave here and say, and misquote me. I'm not saying don't help them. I'm saying you need to be careful who your daughter goes out with. Because you can be deceived really, really easy. The devil always comes in disguise. He never shows you the truth. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So they're focused on the accomplishments. They're tricked by the external appearances. And then they're depending on their earlier accomplishments. Hey, we, we've already taken Jericho, and then we took Ai. You know, things are going good. So they don't even seek a word from Yahweh, the Bible says. They don't even know what he wants them to do. They don't even ask him. You say, preacher, what's, what, what's the relevance of that? <laughs> I'm not talking to y'all now. I'm talking about people down the road somewhere. 
But I hear so many times people say, Preacher, don't worry about this. I've been at this a long time. I've been saved for many years. I've been in church many years. I know the Bible. I teach Sunday school. I sing in the choir. I work on the deacons. I, I, I do all of these different things. I've got this spiritual warfare thing figured out. Mm. Let, let me just ask you as we close this first point to consider this one thing. When I make peace with the devil, it's because I'm out of fellowship with God. When I sign a treaty with the enemy, it's because I'm out of fellowship with the Lord. When I'm in fellowship with the Lord, he keeps me from signing those treaties. And I just want to make a, a practical point here. You need to thank God that you're involved in a church that has systematic life groups studying the Word of God. You need to thank God your children are learning the Word of God and they're being taught the things of God. Because I want to just warn you, one of these days, sooner or later, some old Gibeonite's going to come knocking at your door and he's going to have some moldy bread and some tattered clothes and some wore-out shoes and dried-up skin, and you better know you've got a word from Yahweh or you're going to sign a treaty with the enemy. That's the circumstance. Let me just give you the troubling aspects here. It looks like they've done a, 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 an innocent commitment, verses 15 through 21, and we'll not read them. I mean, who can fault them for signing this treaty? Some of you are not going to like this. You're going to get mad at me. But why shouldn't we sign a treaty with the Gibeonites? I mean, after all, preacher, be real. If we don't show them the love of God, how are they ever going to know the love of God? God said, kill them. Destroy them. Now, now let me bring that down to our everyday thing. Because, see, in our everyday life, Rather than driving out sin and compromise in our lives and not fellowshipping with the people who are compromisers, what we end up doing is signing a peace treaty with the enemy. And God said, get rid of the sin. See, when I make peace with the devil, let me tell you something, it's always on the devil's terms. I know our Congress don't do it very often. They don't have real good reputations. But usually if the Senate does something and the House does something, they have what they call a conference committee. They don't conference very much. But I want to tell you, the devil doesn't have a conference committee. When you make a treaty with him, it's going to be on his terms. The devil does not compromise. God said, destroy these people. The Gibeonites wanted to live. Who won? The Gibeonites won. The devil wins. They said they want to be a part of Israel and the kingdom of God. The whole thing was as fake as a $10 Rolex or a $5 Gucci bag. It's fake. Fraud. Had they have come as Rahab had and said, we've sinned and, and we want mercy. We've heard about your God and we, we, we want mercy. We want him to forgive us. He would have done the same thing for them that he did for Rahab. And let me just interject, he'll do the same thing for you today. Some of the reasons some of you are not saved is because you've refused to admit you're a sinner. You think you're pretty good. 
You try to help people. You do good things in life. They wanted a relationship and the blessings of being in a relationship with God, but they didn't want to repent. I better say that one again, too. They wanted the blessings of the relationship with God. They just didn't want to repent. They don't want to live for God. When we make peace with the devil, he always wins. You want to abstain from the use of alcohol. God convicted you of it, and you say, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. But you've got a friend that wants you to go drinking every weekend. They call. And finally you say, all right, I tell you what, I'm just going to go have one beer with you. Who wins? Huh? I mean, you, you got a boyfriend, you want to walk in sexual purity, and, and, but you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend that wants to experiment, and you give in just a little bit on this, but definitely not on that, but you want purity, and they want to experiment, and once you've given in to this, but not that, who won? The devil. The devil. Mm. And then there's a covenant here. They realized in verses 16 through 19 that they've been deceived. And, but the leaders had sworn to them. The people of Israel were ticked off. They said, we need to go destroy them. That's what God said do. There are entire cities that we need to go and wipe out. God said do it. But we can't do it because our leaders signed a treaty with the enemy. Now, commentators, uh, I read all this week, they're all over the page on what should happen here. Many of them say they need to violate the promises they made and go back and obey God. Hmm. And there are times when that surely is the better choice. You've given your word for something, but God gets a hold of it. Let me just give an example. You're going to meet this lady tomorrow at the Holiday Inn in Tyler. Have a little twist. Hmm? But God convicted you this morning. And you need to call that lady up and you need to say, Look, I know I made a promise to you that I'd be there, but I made a promise to God that's more important than the one to you and I can't be there. Hmm. Young people, now we've already had prime, prom night. Graduation coming up, I've seen many young people that said, I, I'm waiting to graduation, I'm going to give in. I'm waiting to prom night, and I'm going to give in. But you're in a service like this, and the Holy Spirit's convicted you. You need to call your boyfriend or girlfriend and say, Look, I know I promised you on graduation night this would happen, but I made a promise to God that's bigger than you, and it's not going to happen. Hmm. Then there are a lot of people a lot of commentators that said they need to keep the vow and deal with the consequences. Hmm. And sometimes that's true too. <laughs> I mean, you marry outside the will of God and you come and say, Preacher, I'm not sure this person was God's will for my life. Well, I've got news for you, sir. It is now. John Piper said, if you ever wondered if you married the wrong person, check out the name on your marriage license. That'll tell you who you're supposed to be married to. 
Now, I'm not saying there are not legitimate reasons for divorce and all of that. I'm just telling you in the society we live in today, there's not that many reasons for divorce. Some say you need to violate the promise. Some say you need to keep the vow and deal with the consequences. You say, Brother Charles, what do you say? Well, I'm going to try to be tactful. But this illustrates when you get out of the will of God, sometimes there's no quick solutions. Sometimes there's not an easy answer. Sometimes when you're out of the will of God, it ends up with you choosing bad option A or bad option B. But there's no good to come out of it. And there are good and godly people studying the Word of God right now, racking their brains, trying to figure out how to tell us to unscramble the egg we already scrambled. And then there comes a compromise in verses 20 and 21. They go to him and they say, look, we know you lied to us. We, we came to see you. You were from far off country. We left yesterday afternoon, and here we are at your place today. You've lied to us. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do, because we made a covenant with you. You're going to be our slaves or our servants. You're going to cut all the wood and bring it to the uh, tabernacle for all the Israelites. You're going to bring all the water. All of that was needed desperately for the sacrificial system that they had in place. In fact, Ezra, later on in the Bible, still he makes uh, note of the fact that the Gibeonites are still bringing wood and bringing water to the temple hmm seems like a good compromise all's well that ends well amen isn't that wonderful Paul Harvey would say for the rest of the story see there's a twofold aftermath in this treaty verse 22 talks about the grief that they've got and that they're going to endure Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying, We're very far from you when you dwell among us. And there's going to be a lot of grief in there. And they're saying this, We don't want to die. Who wants to die? We knew you were going to kill us, so we didn't want to die. We came. We did what we had to do. And it looks good on the surface. The workers are there. I mean, I mean how many of you women would like to have somebody that cooked all your meals and done your laundry and took care of your bed sheets and all that and I mean you know and it's every day it was done how many of you women have that huh all right <laughs> you know one of the devil's chief tactics is to make you think you got away with it I I committed adultery and my life hadn't fallen in I did this thing and I was worried when I came home, do my parents know? I, I can't, I don't know if they know or whatever. But when I walked in, they said, hey, son, glad to have you home. Turned out the lights and went on to bed. I got away with it. But you see, in 2 Samuel 21, when you make a treaty with the devil or the enemy, it always costs you more than what you thought you was going to pay. Hmm. 2 Samuel 21, and I don't have time to read it. I've got to quit. Uh, Saul comes on the scene, and he decides that he's going to do what God said to do with the Gibeonites, annihilate them. 
And he sets out and tries to do that, except it's not fully successful. And so the Gibeonites and the Israelites are having problems in 2 Samuel. And uh, they go back, and, and David comes. He's on the scene now. Saul's dead. David's on the scene now. And he said, look, what can we do to make this right? And the Gibeonites say this. We don't want your gold. We don't want your silver. We don't want any of that. But we want seven descendants of the man who tried to extinguish us, Saul. Seven. And we're going to take them and we're going to hang them in front of everybody. And David says, okay, we'll do it. And he gets seven of Saul's descendants. Two of those descendants are from a lady called Rizpah that was hooked up with Joshua down the line. And when 2 Samuel 21 closes, we find a mama that's sitting there weeping over her two boys that have been hung. And then we find her taking a sheet and fanning the buzzards and the crows away from her own two boys. All because Joshua signed a treaty with the enemy. You think you're going to sign one with the devil and get away with it? <laughs> He's had 6,000 years experience on you, maybe seven. You're not going to get away with it. It's not going to happen. The exciting thing for us today is to pray, Lord, would you make us, many of us are like the prodigal son, but would you make us have that stench in our nose and our mouth so much that we never forget what it was like to fall in sin away from you. Some of you here today are saying, I've, I've made a treaty with the enemy and I realize it. Mm. What you need to do is repent. You need to say, God, I'm sorry. And you need to go back and say, devil, I don't care what kind of promise I made you. I made a promise to the Lord Jesus Christ that's more important than the one I made to you. And I'm going to honor it. Some of you in this room today, you've never made a promise to anybody but the devil. And he's got you right where he wants you. But I'll tell you, the grace of God can bring it all back together. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Listen, would you come go with me to a, a town called Jerusalem? Would you walk with me outside those gates up to a hill called Calvary? And would you realize that God can take those things that the devil meant for evil and he can turn them around and make them good? That's the outcome of the cross, folks. The devil meant that for evil. But God made it good. And because of that, you and I today, this very day, can still call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we can be saved. With the mouth confession is made, with the heart we believe. And you can be a part of the kingdom of God. Lord, I ask you this morning, would you speak to our hearts?
and tender our hearts before you, soften our hearts. God, that we would not in a prideful way, in any form or fashion, we would not lead people to believe that we think we've got all the answers, that we're some spiritual hero, but God, we're a sinner saved by grace and we need you now more than we've ever needed you before. As an individual, as a family, as a church, as a state, as a country, Lord, as a world, never before have we needed you like we need you now. Would you just fall fresh on this place this morning? And God, let your will be done in every life. I don't know, Lord, the lives of, of folks that I'm looking at here this morning. I don't know what happened this last week. I have no idea what's on the agenda for next week. But God, you know what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, come down in power and glory and fall fresh. And may we make decisions that would honor you and please your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.